um, one, uh, excuse me, 18 through 25. And then in Luke chapter one, it's going to be verses 26 through 38. So if you will mark both of those uh, passages. Matthew chapter 18, or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 18. Says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And now Luke chapter 1, verse, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this in the sixth month, with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, 
I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks be to God. And indeed, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures that have been written for us and for our instruction and for our edification. And we thank you that it bears witness to the true word, Jesus Christ, your son. And so as we reflect on Jesus, as he has been revealed to us in these passages and others, we ask you would speak to us through them and encourage our hearts in this Advent season. And we give thanks to you and praise to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Invite you to uh, recite together the beginning lines of the Nicene Creed. We are continuing uh, a little bit on our series on the Nicene Creed, and we have just finished part one of three parts of the Nicene Creed on God the Father. And now we're starting into the beginning of part two about God the Son. And so let's confess these uh, words together. Uh, And today we're going to focus on the parts that are in, in orange. So let's say these words. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him, all things were made. So this morning, we're going to focus on that opening line of part two. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Uh, In the Bible, names mean something. Names uh, are very significant. Uh, There's usually attached a great deal of meaning uh, to names. To all the parents out here, how many of you really wrestled through and struggled over the naming of your children? Okay. How many of you stayed up until about one or two in the morning, several nights in a row, looking up all the definitions of all of the names that you could find in certain languages or, you know, how many of you did that? Oh, just me? Okay. Um, I, I actually took this quite seriously on the naming of our children, uh, and I indeed was up. How many, how many times was I up late at night? You, I'm sure Janet was probably sleeping. Um, but I like the ones we've come up with. Uh, and w- the meanings are, for Amelia, it means industrious ruler, right? It's the middle and the, the her first and middle name means industrious ruler. Seems fitting, yeah. <laughs> A-OK, Rosie says yes, A-OK. That's a, pretty accurate. Uh, for Ariana, it mean, was silver and lady of the lake, I think. Silver lady of the lake. And I'm like, okay, that seems to fit. Um, Mia was not into like glittery, girly kind of things. She was uh, more demanding and ordering people around. Ari was into like fancy and glittery things. And so silver lady of the lake, it, yes, it seems very fitting. And then, uh, and Emmeline, we realized Emmeline was basically the same as Amelia. So 
and she looks like Amelia, and so it makes a lot of sense. Oh no, we have two industrious rulers in our house. So, uh, so names, and I think probably the reason why I was so intent on this is because I, I kind of understood that the names, the naming of individuals means something. Um, and that's, you see this all throughout the scripture. The name of an individual means something. And the changing of a person's name uh, by God means something. When God comes and says to another individual, I'm going to change your name, that's very significant. Think of um, Abram, which means exalted father, and the Lord God changes his name while he was still childless. To, say, to Abraham, you're going to be the father of a multitude. Or the same for Sarah, changing her name from Sarah, Sarai to Sarah. The change of Jacob's name, which means deceiver, ones who grasp that heel, to Israel. You think of Simon having his name changed to Peter by Jesus himself. And the meaning that's attached to that, that that rock and also Saul's name seems to make a shift in the New Testament from Saul to to Paul because names the naming of things conveys something of of character well today we're going to look at uh, a few names and titles and descriptions of Jesus there are dozens of names and titles and descriptions of Jesus if you include kind of the pictures and images and uh, even terms and titles that are in the Old Testament predicting uh, Jesus, there's dozens of them. We could spend like a year going through, uh, through all of them, and all of them have tremendous meaning. But today we're going to look at just four, and four that we see in the orange lines here from our Nicene Creed. And those four are, we believe in one Lord, Jesus, Christ, and Son of God. Those are the four. Lord, Jesus, Christ, and Son of God. And I'm going to take them a little bit, uh, tweak the order a little bit. First is Jesus. What does the name Jesus mean? It's Jesus in Greek. It's Yehoshua. It's the same basically as Joshua in the Old Testament. So the book of Joshua is the basically the same name as as Jesus's name and it means this Yahweh or the Lord the Lord God Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves okay this is Jesus's human name but it was not a name chosen and given to him by his human parents Joseph and Mary did not stay up late at night searching the internet for the meaning of names the Lord was very gracious, and the angel of the Lord made it quite simple for them, right? The angel came to Joseph, and he said, and you will call him this name. You will name him Jesus. And the angel said the same thing to Mary as well, as you notice that from the, the passage that we just read. So this is not a name that was chosen by his parents. But It's interesting that notice in the Matthew passage, Matthew chapter 21, as the angel comes to him, to Joseph, and says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because this child is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name 
Yehoshua, Jesus. And here's why. For he will save his people from their sins. Right? There's the meaning right there. His name, Jesus, means Yahweh saves. But what's interesting is that uh, the angel says, you are going to call him Yahweh saves because he will save his people from their sins. We'll get to that here in a moment with one of the other terms for Jesus. But here, the angel making it clear that this is Jesus's purpose. This is his mission. He's coming to save people from their sins. What does it mean to confess Jesus in our Nicene Creed? Well, first, to confess Jesus, we have to take the meaning of his name seriously and that he came for our sins. So the first thing we have to do is confess our sins. We have to acknowledge the very need that is required for us to have a Savior, to have Jesus come into the world. To confess Jesus means that we have to confess that we have sin that needs saving from. And it's also to trust in Jesus that my punishment and my death is now his and his life is now mine. When we say we believe in one Lord Jesus, that's what this entails. J.C. Riles says this about this passage in Matthew chapter 1. About the meaning of his name, Jesus, Yahweh, saves. He says this, Jesus saves those who trust in him from the guilt of sin by washing them in his atoning blood. He saves them from the dominion of sin by putting in their hearts the sanctifying spirit. He saves them from the presence of sin when he takes them out of this world to rest with him. And he will save them from all the consequences of sin when he shall give them a glorious body at the last day. Ryle continues, Blessed and holy are Christ's people. From sorrow, cross, and conflict, they are not saved. But they are saved from sin forevermore. They are cleansed from guilt by Christ's blood, and they are made meet for heaven. They're made ready for heaven by Christ's spirit. This is salvation. He who cleaves to sin is not yet saved, he says. So when we confess that Jesus, we confess the name of Jesus, we are confessing that we indeed have sin that, need to be, that needs to be uh, saved. That's the first one. Here's the second term for Jesus in this passage, and it's the one that's listed last, but we're going to take this one second. Jesus is not just Jesus, but Jesus is the Son of God. The Son of God. This is a title emphasizing Jesus' deity and his humanity. In the Old Testament, Israel as a whole, the, the whole nation of Israel, 
the chosen people of God, is described of as God's son. Exodus chapter 4, on the 10th plague, as God is going to strike the firstborn of Pharaoh, of all of Egypt, including the firstborn in his own house. Um, And he's going to deliver his son out of Egypt, he says. Um, Hosea even echoes this, Hosea chapter 11, when it says, Out of Egypt I called my son, the Lord says. But in later Israel's history, uh, this collective nature of Israel being God's son kind of gets narrowed down a little bit um, to description of the descendant of David who is going to be the one who is going to sit on David's throne forever and ever. He's going to be the king who's going to deliver God's people. This is referred to as the son of God. He's not come yet. This one is coming, the coming son of God. Well, as the passages that we just read, if you are listening closely, you could see some of the hints that it's quite clear that Jesus is that son. The long-awaited true son of God who is going to come and be king over all of Israel has come. And they even knew it in, in advance. Look back at the Matthew passage. Uh, excuse me, the, the Luke passage, Luke chapter 1. When Mary asks the question, how will this be? In verse 34. Which is a little different than um, Zechariah's question earlier in the, the chapter. Angel comes to Zechariah and gives the announcement about, uh, about, uh, about John. And uh, he's like, how, how is this even possible? I'm an old man advanced in age. And then he strikes him silent for the rest of the time. Mary's question is a little bit different. Um, it's not, hey, how can you confirm this for me? She just kind of knows, how will this be since I am a virgin? And he says, you, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, because of that, therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. So it's evident even here in the birth story about Jesus. This is evident at Jesus' baptism, where Jesus is baptized by John at the beginning of his ministry. And there's a voice from heaven saying, this is my son. This is the son of God. Before that, when Satan had tested Jesus in the wilderness, uh, or excuse me, after that, tested Jesus in the wilderness, he, one of the temptations was, if you really are the son of God, right? Jesus himself confirms that he's on the, the son of God on many occasions. Other people testify, truly, this is, this is the son of God. Even demons say that. What do you want with us? And lastly, the crowds taunted him as the son of God when he's hanging on the cross. Jesus is the son of God and that being the son of God, uh, then this title, this description is so important to the church's faith. It's part of, it becomes a necessary part of our confession. We're confessing, not only do we have a savior, we have 
one who is fully man and fully God. So what does confessing the Son of God mean for us? It means that God is here and with us. This is connected a little bit to what we saw in Matthew chapter 1. When it says, you will call him Jesus you, because he will save his people from, the, from, his, from their sins. And then Matthew says, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's a connection between the two. If Jesus is the son of God, then God himself is with us. God has come to earth. God has come to the world to rescue wayward man. To rescue you. God does not do this from afar. God does, he, although he could, he could just speak it and just say, okay, you're forgiven. He doesn't. He comes and he takes on human flesh. He was born of a woman. He walked this earth, got tired, hungry, wept, laughed, and ultimately killed so that he could reconcile us with God. God is with us. He is the only one true mediator between us and God. And so it becomes very important to confess Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus himself says this in John chapter 6, a very significant passage beginning in verse 37 through 40. He had just said that he is the, the bread of life that comes that whoever comes to him will not hunger, whoever believes in him will never thirst. And then he says this, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks upon the Son, believes in the Son, confesses Jesus as the Son of God, will have eternal life and will be raised up on the last day. So Jesus is Jesus, but Jesus is also the Son of God. And number three, Jesus is also the Christ. We believe in one God, the Father. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. This is not his last name. This is a title. It's an official title. What does the word Christ mean? Uh, Christ is from the Greek word Christos. It's from the Hebrew word Mashiach. And it's where we would get the English word Messiah. Both those terms, Christos and Mashiach, uh, re refer to anointing, 
or to the anointed one. What's anointing? Well, it's when you take oil and you would put it on the head of an individual. This was done in many occasions all throughout the Old Testament. Sometimes it was just a part of a celebration or joy, um, but usually it was connected to a specific calling or task or setting aside of a person for a specific task. In some cases, it was for purification. Some cases were for healing. But primarily, the three main, main reasons that this anointing was done was for an office, for a task, for an individual who has been granted by God specific responsibilities. And there were three offices in which this was done. The office of prophet, the office of priest, and the office of king. Prophet, priest, and king. That Jesus is called the Messiah, you can see all throughout the New Testament that uh, all three of those tasks, all three of those offices are fulfilled by him. He is called the prophet. In Hebrews, Jesus is clearly pictured as the high priest, but not in the high priest like a Levi's line that would go and offer the sacrifices um, year after year in the temple. But you had one high priest, priest who didn't go into the earthly tabernacle, went into the heavenly one and offered a one-time sacrifice for all. So Jesus was the prophet. He was the final word of God. He was the high priest who gave the final offering of sacrifice of God. And the sacrifice was not of blood or bulls or goats. It was his own. And lastly, he is the king. The grounds for affirming this, you could see, you could see it even in the birth accounts that we celebrate at this time of year in Advent, in particular at Bethlehem. Um, we stopped our scripture reading in Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, but as it goes on from there, after Jesus had been born in Bethlehem, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? This is significant. Herod's a little worried. Why? Why? It just told you, because he was the king. He's like, there's been nobody born in my house. I don't have... I don't have a newborn son. All of my children are grown up. And this is why he plots then to go and find out who this king, this king is. And so he says this in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, what question? Where the Christ the Messiah was to be born. And they go, well, it's right there in the scriptures in, in Bethlehem and Judea. And that's when Herod summons people to go to Bethlehem and to search diligently for the child to have him killed. But notice the connection here between king and Christ, the anointed one. Jesus himself even proclaims that he is this Messiah in Luke chapter 4. 
This also at the beginning of his ministry, he goes in preaching in the synagogues. He's preaching in a synagogue in Nazareth. And it's the Sabbath day. He stands up to read. And in verse 18, it says that he found in verse 17, he says that he found the scroll uh, of Isaiah. And then he begins to read these words. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Okay, this is a a very significant passage. This is a, a passage about the servant of the Lord that is the Messiah, the anointed one. This is what Isaiah is writing of. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Now, this is not Isaiah speaking. He's speaking the words of this anointed one, this Messiah. He has anointed me to proclaim good news or the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up that scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. You can see this in Jesus' healing ministry, his prophetic ministry, and ultimately in his suffering and death on the cross. So Jesus as Christ is again, it's central to Christian belief. And Jesus as Christ is is central to Christian belief because all throughout the New Testament, it says uh, Paul's language for this is that Christ, that anointed one, is in you if you believe in him. So what does it mean to confess Jesus as the Christ? Well, it's partly to confess that we acknowledge that this has all been a part of God's plan. There are hundreds of prophetic pictures and prophetic announcements that this Messiah was coming, and now it's come, so that this is a fulfillment of all of God's plan. It's to recognize that. It's also to recognize Jesus' official offices. When we say we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, We're acknowledging him as the prophet, the final prophet, the final word and revelation from God. We acknowledge him as the priest, the high priest, the final high priest who has sat down because his atoning work is done. And we acknowledge him as king and we submit to his rule and reign over our lives, which brings us to the fourth one. And that is the last word, Lord. Lord. Greek word is kurios. It means Lord or owner or master. Sometimes it's used in the New Testament as just kind of like like we would say, sir. Like, yes, sir. But it's really significant. But in, uh, in other ways, it's used to translate... Uh, The Hebrew word of the Old Testament, the name of the Lord God in the Old Testament. We've talked about this before. Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, or Yahweh. Kurios is used to translate that word in the Old Testament passages that it is quoting. 
It does this um, uh, many, many times. So there's a couple of ideas that are conveyed in this in the context where it's not used as a title of respect, yes, sir, those kinds of things. In other contexts, it refers to a deity or a lordship. And it conveys with it the idea that because God is God, Yahweh is Yahweh, he demands absolute loyalty to himself as master and owner. The New Testament in connecting this word with Jesus is saying that Jesus as God's son, as the Christ, he is also the deity that demands loyalty to himself as the absolute Lord. This, again, is proclaimed all throughout the Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, but let's look at a couple of instances where you could, can, you could get this sense of all of these being royal, rolled together. Go back to Luke chapter, Luke chapter 1. Jesus' demand of absolute loyalty to himself is an extension of and connected to what we just saw as one of his offices as king. And so notice the overlap of these two in several, several instances. Just in, this is just in the, uh, the, the pro, what is proclaimed about Jesus before his birth and what is proclaimed about Jesus immediately following his birth. Here's, here's six episodes. Let me just give you the six. Look at Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. We saw this. This is from uh, the angel Gabriel to Mary, uh, to Mary. He will be called great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. Okay. This is the... Jesus is that anointed king. Notice the words uh, by Mary, uh, excuse me, by Elizabeth to Mary in verse 43. Let's back up to verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and she went with haste to the hill country, to the town of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The first, the first person to recognize Jesus hadn't even been born yet. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then notice verse 43. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Here you have Elizabeth saying to the mother about her unborn baby that that baby is her Lord, her master. Notice the words of Zechariah, Jesus' uncle, John's father, a little later in the passage. Notice verse, uh, let's see, verses uh, 68 through 69. 
Uh, there's some debate here talking about naming of your children. It's very significant. Let's back up to verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had showed great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. This is kind of a breach of protocol here. And they said to her, well, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted uh, him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, because remember, the angel had struck him deaf this whole time. And he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came upon all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard it laid up upon their hearts saying, what then will this child be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. But notice this in verses 68 and 69. These, this prophecy, this song uh, from Zechariah. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Skip down to verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Speaking of John the Baptist, he goes, you're going to go before. The pro you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. This is proclaimed after Jesus' birth. Go into Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. As the angels appear to the shepherds, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There he throws all of them, almost all of them in there. And this will be a sign to you. You're going to find that baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. You're going to find a Savior, Christ, the Lord. Notice, again, the words of Simeon later in chapter 2, beginning of verses 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen who? The Lord's Christ. Joseph and Mary bring eight-day-old eight baby Jesus to go get circumcised, and he sees baby Jesus and this Simeon. It took him up in his arms, verse 28, and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. 
Similarly, the instance with, with Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and having lived with her husband seven years. Verse 37, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day, night and day, and coming at that very, very hour, it's assumed here that she also comes and sees Jesus in the temple. She began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. All of these pictured over and over that Jesus is Christ, the Lord. That's not even going through the rest of the passages of the, the New Testament. So Jesus Christ's lordship is so important for us to confess because uh, it becomes the, the basis of our relationship with him and Christians. Jesus as our Lord is expressing a fundamental part of our relationship to him. And that is one of submission, of a, of a willful bending of our knee in recognition of the supremacy of who he is. It becomes the basis for our obedience as well. Paul writes this in Colossians, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. So the call to submit to the supremacy and the lordship of Christ is to, is to willfully do what everyone will do in the last day. Everyone will ultimately have to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. As Paul says in the famous passage in Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking upon the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. What, what saves people is to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord willfully and joyfully and gratefully before you do so as his enemy. So what does confessing Lord means? Well, it means willingly. We willingly confess Jesus as Lord. We, really, we willingly confess that he alone has the true authority over our lives. 
We seek to submit ourselves to him. We seek to obey him in all that he calls us to do and to be. And we humble ourselves before him. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. I encourage you to memorize that phrase and know the significance and the weight of all of those names and titles there. And as you confess those, are you confessing that all of those are true for you? I confess Jesus because he saves me from my sin. I confess him as the son of God, that he, we have God who has come into earth in human form and has lived and walked for, uh, as us for us. Is he the anointed one who is the final prophet, the final priest, and the ultimate king? And is he the Lord who has full authority and say over my life? That's what we are saying when we say, we believe, and let's say that together, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that we have learned about you and this true of you in these passages today. And may we take these titles in particular that, that we confess upon, that we confess with our lips. May we take those upon our hearts and may they be a guide and a rule for, uh, for our relationship with you. We thank you that you came to be our savior, to save us from our sins. We thank you that you did not do this from afar, but came and took on human flesh and lived among us and experienced all that we would experience and yet did so without sin. We thank you that you are the anointed one and is the final office holders over all of these major um, tasks that are part of your plan of redemption. And we thank you that you are indeed the great Lord over all the earth. And we submit to you. We thank you. We thank you, Jesus. May all of these names and titles be upon our uh, be on our minds and on our hearts and, and on our lips this, this season of Advent. We pray this in your mighty name and all God's people said, amen and amen. Uh, friends, invite you to uh, stand for our closing benediction this morning. Um, reminder uh, that the, the offering box is over on the table. Also to remind you to pray for the prayer requests that are in the uh, in the handout, we have, there's a lot of sicknesses going around. You can see a lot of people are, are absent and missing. And um, so just be praying for, for health um, and for God's healing and uh, gracious uh, healing hand to be upon those who are experiencing sickness right now. And uh, so just keep that 
in your prayers. Now, brothers and sisters, um, may the grace of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father in sending Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that we have received from Christ be with all of you as you go. Thank you.